Anyone not had a dream? Anyone can't relate to what a dream is? We all know what dreams are. Some people dream regularly. Uh, some people really dream, uh, at least the, the, the conscious self. But even though we know the nativity story off by heart, perhaps we have not considered the role of dreams in the birth and the early life of Jesus. There are three prophetic dreams that led to the birth, witness and rescue of Jesus. And these dreams were not just plots in a story, but they are true events that changed the course of history. Let's look at the first dream, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, actually, these were going to be read this morning, but somehow the email I sent, you didn't get it, Paul, so um, sorry about that. But uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verses 19 to 25, or maybe from verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. I think we're probably aware that the betrothal in Israel was much, not just an engagement as we know, it was far more binding than that. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, um, or before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And we know the story. A wonderful story, but a very, very important dream as far as Jesus was concerned in regard to his birth. Now Joseph, as we are aware from the scriptures, was a righteous man. Uh, he lived as a good Jew in the society of the first century. Um, and when Joseph chose to wed Mary, it was not a small decision. It was a very important decision. Now today in our society, it's not uncommon that people have a child or children before they're married, but that was not the case in ancient Israel, generally speaking. So Joseph's decision not to put Mary away was a solid statement that everyone understood. What he was saying was, hey, I'm the guy that caused this to come to happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, how could they share with people, and I'm sure they did to some, that it was God who had made her pregnant? Many would label them as not only fornicators but liars. So, can you see the setting of that time? It wasn't an easy time for Mary or Joseph. Not at all. Joseph was a carpenter. And when people wanted something produced, they didn't go to the local store because there probably wasn't a local store as, as we have it today. But if they wanted something built, a chair, a bed, they would go to the carpenter. But what sort of reputation would Joseph have because Mary was pregnant and they had not yet married? So when Joseph went ahead to marry Mary, it was, wasn't a light matter. It was a mighty, a mighty decision that would affect their social life, their religious status. And uh, how did it all come about? A dream. A dream. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now how many decisions do we make in our lives that go back to a dream? Probably not very many. Particularly not in our society where we're not 
so familiar with dreams or spiritual dreams. And then the second dream is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It um, talks about Herod the king. Uh, verse 1, Now when, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. So it goes on. So, verse 7, Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Go and search for the child. When you found him, come and tell me so I can come and worship him. Well, that was just a big, big lie, as we know. Um, and then uh, after, let me just read on verses 12. You know the story. And then verse 12, instead of going back via Herod, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, I don't know how many dreams you've had over the years. Maybe you had a dream last night or many dreams. But I, I wonder if we can compare any dream that we've had with the dreams that you know, the Magi had or that Joseph had. We can only compare or we can only think we understand by the intensity of any dream we've had. But I would think that the dreams that these people had were very, very intense uh, because it just so changed their direction changed so much so much let's talk a little bit for a moment about um, about Herod about the Meiji and uh, you've probably heard me say this before I want to read an, an article from the book of mysteries by Jonathan Kahn and this is uh, day 108 these are one day um, uh, devotional thoughts the Magian journey uh, he led me into a room known as the Chamber of Vessels. There he retrieved a small wooden box from which he removed an intricately adorned metal cat container. Inside the container was a white powder. Frankincense, said the teacher, one of the gifts of the Magi. Who exactly were the Magi, I asked. Priests of an ancient Persian religion called Zoroastrianism, uh, one of the pagan religions. Stargazers who followed one particular star in their search to find the newborn king of the Jews. But how did they know for sure where Messiah was born? And no one knows for certain, he said, it's a mystery. They only had shadows to go on, glimpses, hints, traces, longings and the star. But they were seeking for the truth as best they could. They had no idea where it would take them. They just followed the star, step by step, knowing that only the next step and nothing else. Yet they ended up finding him. And they had no idea what was written in the ancient prophecy about Messiah, about them. Seven centuries before they arrived in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of Messiah's coming to Israel. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And the Gentiles will come to your light, and a multitude of camels will cover your land, and they will bring gold and frankincense. Isn't that interesting? Maybe there were not just three. Three, maybe. Maybe there were many 
uh, because it refers to, to, to many, many camels. Gold and frankincense, they were the gifts of the Magi. A prophecy of Gentiles coming to Israel on night of Messiah's coming and bearing gifts as they came. A prophecy that waited over 700 years to be fulfilled. And the Magi had no idea. They were only seeking to follow God's will as if walking in the dark step by step. And yet they ended up fulfilling their appointed destiny, ordained and foretold for hundreds of years. Learn their secrets, said the teacher. You don't have to know all that lies ahead of you. You never will. But set your heart on seeking him, his presence and his will. Do what you know is right, taking the next step and the next, and you'll end up in the place appointed for your life, even from ancient times, even from the beginning. The glory at the end of the Magian journey. Interesting. Now here's another thought. This is uh, day 184 regarding this, this particular period, the Idomenian mystery. We were looking at an old volume in the Chamber of Books and specifically at an image, a lithograph of the Magi standing before King Herod. Most people have heard of King Herod, said the teacher, how he slaughtered the children of Bethlehem in his attempt to kill the Messiah. But there's more to the story, a mystery that begins ages before. At that he turned his gaze away from the image in the book and paused. When Isaac blessed his son Jacob, he told him that there would that he would have dominion over his brothers and men would bow down before him. And But when Isaac blessed Esau, he told him that he would live by the sword and under the dominion of his brother Jacob. Esau was so filled with rage that he plotted Jacob's death. But what happened to Jacob? Who were his descendants? The Jewish people, Israel. And what about Esau? Esau also had descendants. They were called the Edomites and became the nation of Edom. Isaac's prophecy would come true. Esau's children, the Edomites, would live under the dominion of Israel, under the children of Jacob. In the days of the Roman Empire, they would be called the Edomians. But it was then that something strange happened. An Edomian became the king of Israel. A child of Esau ruled over the children of Jacob. And the child of Esau was Herod, said the teacher. King Herod was the child of Esau. It was the ancient battle, Esau warring over the birthrights and the blessing and seeking to have dominion over Jacob. But then another extraordinary thing happened. Messiah was born. Messiah was a child of Jacob with the true birthright and the true blessing of dominion and lordship. So we have two kings, the true and the false, Esau and Jacob, Herod and Messiah. And just as Esau plotted to kill Jacob, so Herod, the son of Esau, plotted to kill Messiah, the son of Jacob. Behind it all was the ancient mystery. What does the Edominian mystery tell you? It is crucial that we receive the blessing. Without it, we will spend our whole lives reacting and trying to compensate for its absence. Whatever you did, didn't receive in this world no longer matters. Receive now from your heavenly Father your blessing and your birthright. For if Messiah is your king, you are of the kingdom of Jacob, the kingdom of those who have received the blessing, the kingdom of the blessed. Interesting, isn't it? And even to this day, of course, the descendants of Esau uh, and the descendants of uh, Jacob, the battles that are going on uh, in the Middle East today in Israel. I have some interesting facts before me. I won't read too much, but uh, regarding Herod, just reading about Herod in the scriptures, and um, his family was forced into Judaism in the second century before Christ. But he was a very, very cruel uh, man, very evil man. 
he was jealous and he murdered his wife, Miriam, um, the princess whom he loved. He drowned her brother, killed his mother, and even took the lives of his two sons by Miriam. I mean, he was a bad dude. Um, and we just have a small reference to him here in this particular passage. But Herod was a master builder. He was a genius. And if you looked at what he did, he, he all throughout Israel he had magnificent buildings. And even beyond Israel, in the Greek islands and, and elsewhere, he, he built all sorts of things and the ruins are there to this day. So he was a brilliant man. Really, really brilliant. And I've got information here before me about that. Well, Herod. Not a good man, and we know what happened, that uh, he sent some of the soldiers to where Jesus had been born in order to kill him. And so many, many uh, young boys were, were slaughtered because of this wicked man, Herod. Matthew 2, 1-12, to we have looked at. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Then go and search for, carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. But the wise men didn't do what Herod said and uh, they went another way, all because of a dream. Now I'm not saying that we should live our lives by dreams. Um, we have a friend locally and she's very, very prophetic and she dreams all the time. And there was a situation some years ago um, when a couple in the church wanted to get married and my first reaction would have been, oh no, because this man was now a believer but he had been married at least three times before. So he was a young woman who had never been married and, well, fortunately, some months before, this woman, whom we know personally, she's travelled with me and her husband to other countries, um, she said, oh, I had a dream. I had a dream the other night and I saw these two getting married. They were going to be married. Now, knowing her, knowing her character, knowing how God often speaks to her in dreams, uh, when the news came and they did become to, to come together and wanted to get married, instead of having a negative reaction, uh, I was prepared for that incident. In fact, I was the one that actually married them as, as a minister. So some people are have lots and lots of dreams. I, I can't say I'm one of those people as far as significant dreams. I don't know, how about, how about you? Do you have dreams very often or significant dreams? Well, the third dream. The third dream may not be so familiar. Um, Matthew 2, verse 13 to 15. Now when they had gone, when the Magi had gone, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And we read those, we we're familiar, aren't we not, with those particular verses. But let's bring it into a, a modern concept. Just imagine you as a wife, you as a husband, had just been married, say, 12 months, 18 months, and you were living in uh, northern Quebec, 
just settle into a new community. Your husband has started a new business. Your home was comfortable. Uh, you're de starting to develop a support system and your friends with your friends and neighbours. Uh, your little child's beginning to walk. Just imagine about three o'clock in the morning, your husband shakes you awake and says, get up, we need to move. Can you get the baby and grab all you need? I'll pack a few bags. I'll um, get whatever I can to fit into the car. We have to move to California. Mm. When we think of Mary and Joseph, I mean, it was a long way down to Egypt and maybe donkey transport. <laughs> it wouldn't have been comfortable. It would have been a real inconvenience. Today we have nice roads and we have nice motor cars. And so she says, can we talk in the morning? Uh, we're not going to move. And uh, the husband says, we can't talk about it in the morning. We need to leave right now. Why is this so urgent? Because I've just had a dream. I've just had a dream. We need to leave now. I'm thinking of a, a pastor that we know who's now retired. And he's told me the story and told many others of his must have been great grandfather uh, living in Russia uh, years ago. And we know 1917, that crucial time when um, the Bolshevik Revolution and so on. And God spoke to this Christian man and said, Leave Russia today. And he had a dream. Leave Russia today. So he said to his wife and children, We've got to leave Russia today. Now, you can you know, imagine this is a Christian community in Russia going back all those decades. And uh, he shared it with his family and others in the community and they all said, oh, no, 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 no. But God had so impacted him through that word that had come to him that he gathered his family, they got on a train and it happened to be the last train on that particular line to leave the nation of Russia before the borders closed. They just got out just got out on time and it all happened because God spoke to this godly man through a dream. So that's kind of bringing it up to date just a little more, isn't it? Not back a couple of thousand years ago, this was in Russia uh, in the early 1900s. And knowing one of the relatives, so many were saved from the slaughter that took place and so on and so on, all because of a dream. Well, God speaks to people in dreams. Dreams are important to God. In fact, it was a central method by which he guided Joseph in the birth and the early days of Jesus' life. God trusted the life of his son to a dream, so he must feel they're important. Not only did the dreams seem important, but Joseph and Mary believed they were too. And they made life-altering decisions based on dreams. But the Bible speaks a lot about dreams. And again, I'm not one to encourage you to live by dreams. I, I've met folks who, when they wake up every morning, they take their journal and they write down the dreams they had in the night. And uh, I've never done that. Um, well, on occasion, but rarely. Um, but I, I can't get into that. Um, to me, it can become, from my point of view, it can become too self-centered, too self-focused. So when I hear of that, and uh, 
Some people do that. Well, I'm not criticizing them, but for me, I, I, I couldn't do that. So I'm not saying we've got to live our lives, wake up every morning and write down the dreams that we had. Although, on occasion, it could be important. Really could be. But the Bible speaks a lot about dreams. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, speaking of Abraham or Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. When I think of a vision, I tend to think of uh, something happening when we're awake, whereas a dream is something happens when we're asleep. In fact, in the same chapter, uh, verse 12 to 21, and now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, the terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Well, we know how that was fulfilled. So God spoke to Abraham in a vision. God spoke to him in a dream. In Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22, we read of Jacob. And Jacob had one of the most famous dreams in the Bible. He saw a stairway or ladder into heaven, angels ascending and descending, and God standing there promising never to leave him, to be his God and to bring him back to the land of Israel and give it to his descendants. In Numbers 12, verses 4 to 6, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out of the tent of meeting, so the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they, had, they both came forward. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all his household. Whom will I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings? And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? We know that Miriam was struck with leprosy at that time, and and um, God was upset with him. But my prophets, I will make known my word in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. And we see this again and again in the Old Testament. Uh, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came. And then First um, Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 15 speaks of Solomon. And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said to him, Ask what you wish me to give you. Now, I wonder how you would respond. I wonder how I would respond if God spoke to us very clearly in a dream. Uh, what was your request? What would you like? Any thoughts? <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Well, we know the story. To me, actually, Solomon is one of the tragedies of the Scriptures. An absolute tragedy. Um, God had given so much, so much wisdom. He was so famous because of the wisdom God had given to him. And yet he went away and he disobeyed the Lord. He married one of the daughters of Pharaoh. He married many other women from different nations. And in the end, they brought him down because he embraced their gods. Um, tragic, absolutely tragic. And yet I read passages, I read the Proverbs every day and and I get blessed by you know, what God gave that man in the way of wisdom. But God appeared to Solomon in a dream. Joseph was in prison. And 
the cupbearer and baker were in there as well because they had not got along too well with, with Pharaoh. And they both had dreams regarding their futures. And Joseph interpreted those dreams with the help of God, of course. And those dreams were fulfilled. And then when Pharaoh had a dream, he saw the 14 he years ahead. Then the, um, the baker who had the dream, you know, um, he said, oh, there was a man that helped me. His name was Joseph. He's in prison. And, and so that's how Joseph was able to come to Pharaoh and interpret the dream that Pharaoh had had. Uh, Judges 7, uh, a Midianite soldier saw Gideon winning the battle in his dream and um, Gideon was outside the tent listening. You know the story. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4, saw the future world powers and the coming of the Messiah as well as his own madness in a dream. Matthew 27. Pilate's wife is tormented by the realization that Jesus was innocent. If only Pilate had listened to what his wife had said. We may not be aware that um, at a later date to that dream and the sentencing of Jesus to crucifixion, um, Pilate was called back to Rome because of some things he had done and he was banished to the south of France where he committed suicide. But at this particular time in the scriptures in Matthew 27, he was the big man. He was a man with all the authority. He had the power of life and death. Well, New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Peter's speaking at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it shall be in the last day, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Well, if you're having dreams, maybe you're an old man. <laughs> Young men will see visions. I think you're probably aware of the fact that 80% of Muslims coming to Christ today are coming through dreams. The Muslim people are open to that realm. It's, it's, um, it's okay. It's a positive thing as far as their religion is concerned. I've spoken to former Muslims who've come to Jesus through having a dream. I've read the statistics many times. So it's approximately 80% of, of Muslims who've turned away from that religion to Jesus have come because of Jesus appearing in a dream or God ministering in dreams. So here's a whole culture, a whole people group, millions and millions and millions that God is speaking into their lives through dreams. Let me share two dreams uh, that I've had. And I don't live my life by dreams. I'm, I'm talking back over a lifetime now, many years as a Christian. The first dream was in a, in a small country town called Parks in New South Wales, Australia. And uh, Shirley and I had uh, been working with an international mission society uh, as evangelists traveling throughout New South Wales, little towns, country towns, cities, beaches, parks, into prisons everywhere, sharing the word of God. But at this particular time in our lives, uh, we had drawn aside at the leading of the Lord and I was waiting upon God because the Lord had said to me, don't do anything else until they tell you to do it. And I was thinking maybe some weeks, not realizing that I'd be waiting on God for one and a half years. And all I did was to seek God morning, afternoon and night for one and a half years. Um, the first 12 months were very, very difficult. Um, 
I was in such need in my life personally. I needed to be set free of all sorts of stuff. Um, also, I was desiring direction for the future. So I was praying, praying, praying. Um, hour by hour, day by day. I fasted three months altogether of the first 12 months. I mean, there was a desperation in my heart. And the time came when I said to Shirley, I feel like I'm a dead man. I'll never preach again unless God does a miracle. And I really felt that I was under the ground. I was gone. I had died to this world. I had died to selfish ambition, all that sort of stuff. But the Bible often speaks about wilderness experiences or death experiences. I mean, Joseph went through such an experience. Moses went through such an experience. Many, many people, even to this day, have gone through times of wilderness, of death experiences, uh, before the resurrection came. And after one year of just waiting on God, God spoke to me in a dream. It was so vivid. I mean, I can see it to this day. It was just implanted on my heart. And because I've got nothing else to compare it with, I can say out of 10, intensity 1 to 10, it would have been a 10 intensity. Um, maybe compared to some of these Bible characters, it would have been a, you know 0.1. <laughs> but for me, it was just so dramatic, it was so vivid, it was so life-changing, it was like on a scale of 10 to 10. And in that dream, it was like being in a movie theater, not that I was in a theater, but I was seeing like watching a screen. Um, and three future events unfolded before me and I was fast asleep. I was not only watching what was unfolding, I was involved in what was unfolding in the dream. So I was watching it and yet I was experiencing it. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And then after each scene, I was suddenly caught up in the dream to a heavenly country and I can only describe it like being Superman, flying over this glorious country, shouting praises to God. The first scene, the second scene, um, the first scene had to do with my own freedom. The second scene had to do with the adoption of two children. I mean, I didn't want children when we got married. I was afraid to have children because whenever I heard a baby cry, I'd have an instant reaction on the inside so strong I'd want to kill a crying baby and it scared me. So when we got married or before we got married, I said to Shirley, I don't want children. And... Um, Anyway, I saw the adoption of two children take place. And these dreams had been fulfilled. Not that I was flying over a heavenly country like Superman or anything, but, but they'd been fulfilled. Even the dream of our first two children that we adopted literally came to pass, as God showed me in the dream, years before they were even conceived out of wedlock and to be abandoned by an alcoholic mother. God knows the end from the beginning. But God was preparing my heart to be a father of, um, of two children and, of course, more beyond that. And in that dream, when I was caught up the second time, flying over this glorious heavenly country, uh, shouting praises with all of my heart, I was aware of a little girl being with me in the dream. I didn't turn my head. I just knew she was there. And in the dream, that little girl spoke two words. It just pierced through that wall that was around my heart. And the two words were, Hello, Daddy. And I felt momentarily what it was like to be a father. And uh, man, it was a good feeling. Young man, it was a good feeling. And then the third scene. And then I woke up and Shirley was fast asleep and I had to wake her. I couldn't believe she was asleep. I'd been making so much noise in the dream. I'd been shouting, shouting, shouting praises to God. But Shirley was fast asleep. 
So whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know. I'm sure I was in the body, but God just communicated to me in a dream. And um, the third scene, when we were called to Australia, from, from Australia to Canada a few years later, I just knew in my heart that that third scene would be fulfilled or begin to unfold one year after we arrived in Canada. And that's exactly what happened. What God had shown me began to unfold. And I was ready for it uh, because God had prepared me through, through a dream. So because I can't compare that dream to any other dream, on a, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a 10 for me. <laughs> um, but then had another dream just a few years back and I thought I'd bring this book along. Some of you have read this book, I think, Called to Conquer. Anyone read this book? Okay, Murray, you've read it, yeah? Called to Conquer. Okay. Um, this is the first, fourth book that Shirley and I have put together. And after the third book, and each book was birthed in a different way. This book was birthed through a dream. Book one, two, and three were birthed through other circumstances. So God's not limited to one way in which he can speak to us, one way in which he can guide us. But after the third book, I said to myself, I'll not write another book. That's it. I had no intention of writing. Often people came to me as they still do. They're going to write another book, got another book. I said, no, 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 no. I had no thought of ever writing another book. But it was the middle of winter. It was in Finland, uh, up in the, the central part of central northern Finland. It was cold. It was snow outside. And one night I had a dream. I was a speaker in a a few days of meetings there. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, well, I can only compare that vivid dream on a scale of 1 to 10 as a 10. This dream was probably a 0.2. In other words, it wasn't dramatic. It, wasn't, it was just a dream. And I woke up in the morning and I thought, wow, because it was a dream about writing another book. So when I woke up, it was on my heart, on my mind, and I thought to myself, wow, Writing another book, I'd never planned to do that. But God got my attention through a dream. Not a dramatic dream, a scale of 10 out of 10, but you know, one that was the needle was barely flickering. But that afternoon, before I spoke in the afternoon meeting, I was sitting on the lounge in this little cabin, thinking about the dream. And suddenly it was like a download. And I quickly got a pen and paper and I began to write down the title, Called to Conquer, and the chapters, one by one by one. I wrote down the chapter headings. Now, when I have written in the past, I've always written the chapters out first, the chapter headings. And they're like coat hangers on which you can hang the clothes. So to me, having some sort of direction where to go is very, very helpful. So I just wrote down quickly uh, the headings, uh, the chapters, and I realized this wasn't just my idea to write a book. This was God's idea. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying it's the best book in the world. Um, I discovered later there's another author I know that wrote a book with the same title, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, but this book is the best that we could do. And uh, a friend offered to edit it. And uh, because he was so helpful, I said, I want to put your name on the front. He said, oh, no, no. I said, no, I want to acknowledge you that you helped in the editing of the book. It's not the, the best book in the world, but it's a book that I believe God has birthed through me uh, in a way of teaching. 
It's on overcoming the world, the flesh and the devil. So we all need to overcome some things, don't we? On a regular basis. So the birthing of a book. Now again, we may not be so familiar with dreams and I'm just telling you a couple of dreams over a lifetime. I get some dreams, some have been significant, but on one hand, probably the significant dreams I've had were just one, two, three, four, five, just a few. If we want to hear God's voice, let's be men and women of the book, the Bible. Let's be seeking him, let's be in his word, that God will speak to us through his word. But there are other societies where... God speaks often through dreams, talking about the Muslims. But let me just conclude with one story. Um, we have friends in Australia. They were part of the church that we were involved with then in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, the, the husband, the now husband, was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And uh, God used Shirley and myself and another lady friend to bring these two together. They both formerly had been involved in the homosexual lifestyle and uh, God had set them free. It was just an amazing. Uh, the woman was set free dramatically in a prayer session one day. The husband was set free over a period of months as uh, he applied principles that I had shared with him coming out of that particular lifestyle. He wasn't involved, he wasn't involved physically at that time. He became a Christian, he turned from that lifestyle, but he had no attraction for the opposite sex whatsoever, which was kind of unusual. Anyway, I won't go into that story, but these two began to write to one another. Uh, No emails in those days where this man lived up in the mountains. There was no electricity except generators. Um, So it wasn't easy to access them. It just had to be the old-fashioned writing of letters. So I alerted him of this young lady in our church that we knew well. She was one of our singers in the music ministry. And we connected them. And they began to write to one another. And only five people knew about this friendship developing. One was a nurse friend in the church. And this woman was a nurse. Uh, One was the couple themselves. So that's three. And Shirley and myself, that made it five. And we told nobody. It was a big, big, big secret. But our friend, the missionary, was I'll call him John, he was planning to come back to Australia to have a long furlough and then to marry, well, it's Marion, marry Marion and bring her back to the mission station. Now this man was a missionary amongst a people that um, were very attuned to the spirit world. And Papua New Guinea, there's so much witchcraft in Papua New Guinea and so there's all sorts of occultic things going on. And um, he got to become part of this community because uh, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this particular tribal area. And people were coming to know Jesus and um, they, they had no one to teach them. And so they reached out uh, to our missionaries. Uh, we had a number of missionaries from our church in Papua New Guinea. Can you send someone to help us? And so uh, we sent two people up there to work amongst this this tribal group. (sighs) Dreams, visions, common. Angelic visitations, common. I mean, when was the last time you had an angel knock on your door? I mean, but that realm, which for us, at least for me, is not a common thing, was common. God would speak to them through dreams. God would speak to them through visions. 
uh, he would speak to them through angelic manifestations. There were signs and wonders and miracles taking place among the people, but they lacked understanding of the scriptures. That's why they called for help. Well, I went to the home of one of the elders. I can see it now. Were you with me on that occasion? I don't know if you were. Uh, just imagine a bamboo, bamboo poles, you know. Um, you climb up a bamboo ladder to the first floor. There's only one floor. And the floors are made of bamboos, uh, and you can see the ground through them. Uh, no carpets or anything. Um, the men would have maybe one shirt, one pair of shorts, um, bare feet. I mean, they lived very, very primitively. They had little materially, and yet there was such an awareness of the spirit world because of their culture and because of now the Holy Spirit moving amongst them. So my friend was planning to come back to Australia to get engaged, get married, and then take his new wife back to Papua New Guinea. At the village farewell, this elder I've just spoken of got up and spoke. And he said, over the last number of weeks, my wife and I, God has spoken to us through a dream and through an angel coming to us. And has told us that this man... Our missionary is going back and he will marry a woman called Marion Blank, and that's actually her name, Marion Blank, and he will bring her back to work with us in the mission field. And Peter was aghast. aghast. I mean, this was a secret. Only five of us knew. Five of us knew. And now the whole village knew because an angel blabbed. But that's exactly what happened. He went back. I can see the, the wedding today in the old building we had there downtown. Um, and then back to the mission field. And he had a Bible school he had started and he changed the name of the Bible school. He called it Freedom Bible School. I wonder why. Because he'd been set free from the whole area of homosexual thoughts and fascinations and so on. And she had been set, set free in a dramatic way from unclean sexual spirits. Just amazing. Happened just in a period of an hour in prayer. And, and as, she, as we prayed for her, she thrashed around my office like a shark out of water. And uh, the lady that I had praying with me, Daphne, we had to follow her around because she was just, you know, just imagine a big salmon in the boat. She was like that. It was dramatic. She was a great woman. She was one of our singers. She was a, she was a nurse. Um, but she came to us one day and said, Graham Shirley, please, I... I've been living in a lesbian lifestyle with one of the other nurses in our church and I, I'm just so convicted, I feel so ashamed, I want to be set free. Please pray for us. Please pray for me. She got delivered in a dramatic way. Uh, her husband-to-be got delivered over a period of months just with he and the Lord working together. Nothing dramatic whatsoever. Nothing dramatic whatsoever. But one day he wrote to me and said, uh, I was in a home meeting on the coast a few days ago and... For the first time, I felt attracted to a woman <laughs> in the meeting. I mean, here's a man saying he was attracted to the opposite sex. First time, never happened before. He was getting set free, but it was not in a dramatic way. So here is a people group, and I'm sure that still today, God will be speaking to them through his word, but also through dreams and visions. That's the kind of realm they, they live in, very sensitive, yet they have so little materially. But God does speak in dreams and visions. But again, if we want God to speak to us, 
let's be men and women of the scriptures. Let's be men and women of this book. It's so very, very important. Don't wait a thousand years before God gives you a dream. That dream may never come. You follow what I'm saying? So dreams, the Bible talks a lot about them. Dreams at Christmas. There's three we just looked at briefly. And all I can say is let's be open to God, how he may want to speak to us. But first and foremost, let us be men and women of the word of God. And whatever we believe God may say to us in a dream, it needs to be judged also by the scriptures. Because um, God speaks truth. He speaks truth in dreams, but it needs to harmonize uh, with the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak today. You speak through the scriptures as we read them, as we meditate upon them. Uh, You speak in so many different ways. You're speaking to so many Muslims today around the world through dreams. And uh, even though most of us are not familiar with this realm, perhaps, we want to be open to you, that you would speak to us. And above all, we choose to be men and women of your word, to love your word, to, to seek your ways, understanding of who you are through the scriptures. Thank you for the Bible. We are so, so grateful. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for what he was willing to endure as he was rejected by his own creation and suffered on the cross. But we thank you, Father, he is alive today. He's alive forevermore. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Help us to surrender to Jesus every day and to follow him with all of our hearts. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.